Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our TOSIC Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Timothy Chan, who is the director of the Center of Immunotherapy and Precision Immuno-Oncology at Cleveland Clinic. Today, he's going to discuss the development of the new Center for Immunotherapy and Precision Immuno-Oncology. Welcome, Tim. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So maybe just to start, maybe you can give us a little overview of what your role is here. Sure. Uh, I'm a recent arrival at Cleveland Clinic. I come from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, where I've uh, worked for uh, over a decade. Uh, And I'm a physician scientist and an oncologist uh, by training. And uh, we've been here since, uh, I would say, early March. And the role of why I was recruited here was to come chair this new uh, Center for Immunotherapy, which is a center that is uh, designated to forward immunotherapy, developmental therapeutics, and research at the Cleveland Clinic Health System. When everything's said and done, how large do you expect this effort to be? I'm, I'm still learning about, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs myself, actually, because, you know, as you know, whenever you land in a certain place, different places, you know, have different needs. My big thing is to basically, you know, um, one of the things is to empower all the great people that are already here at the Cleveland Clinic, various institutes uh, and hospitals um, all throughout the system to leverage people's passion and people's expertise to further develop immunotherapy, trial design, and uh, therapeutics. How large it's going to be? Well, I can go over the main segments of the center. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, a little bit bigger than a departmental scale, but smaller than, I would say, some of the clinical institutes. Um, but it has some components that are cross-institute. For instance, we have a, a department of uh, immunologic medicine where we are in the process of recruiting MD, MD, PhD, and PhD uh, scientists, faculty-level scientists who are interested in a, a variety of different types of immunologic research, both from immuno-oncology uh, and immunotherapy uh, design and development, all the way to, say, viral vaccine development and autoimmunity. Uh, we have operations and faculty-run laboratories in both Cleveland and also a footprint in the new Frick or a Florida Research and Innovation Building down in Florida as as well. So that's one component. Uh, another component is a joint program with Case Western as part of the NCI Comprehensive Cancer Center and the National Center for Regenerative Medicine to set up our own in-house Cleveland Clinic-centric cell therapy program. Right, so a developmental therapeutics program where we're going to recruit the latest, at best and brightest folks that are interested in uh, developing new CAR-T therapies, new engineered T-cell therapies, uh, new cancer neoantigen-based vaccines, and so forth. Uh, This will be in collaboration with the NCRM. Uh, I I don't know if many uh, folks know, but the NCRM, which is part of our comprehensive cancer center for which uh, Cleveland Clinic is a part of, is really one of the very largest uh, cell therapy production facilities in, in the area and in the state. So definitely in the state. So we really want to um, very much advance um, the mission of, of uh, immunotherapy discovery across the Cleveland Clinic enterprise. There's a third component, which is largely uh, research 
capability building. Uh, we're bringing in a team of folks uh, that are expert computational scientists to really work with investigators at the Cleveland Clinic. This group called the Immunogenomics Platform is slightly different. They're very much applied computational folks. And the purpose really is to uh, work with clinicians, uh, both at the, at the Towson Cancer Center and other institutes in LRI, to basically initiate correlates that will allow bench-to-bedside uh, insights into how we can design our next trials and understand why people are resistant or sensitive to therapeutics. And the last is a, a large initiative called um, the Precision Oncology Initiative. And clearly, we need a sexier name here. So we need to, like, at some point, you know, decide on, you know, how, what to call this. But this really is a top-down enterprise where we want to expand our basket trials. Um, and Dale, I, I, I got to talk to you about this at some point as well, yeah. because you're heading up the phase one program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but we really want to resource this and, and allow expansion of the phase one program. We want to make molecular profiling very much available to everybody that wants this as we uh, move forward to make precise treatment plans for our patients here in the cancer center. So I guess I'll uh, I'll start with a question about the last initiative, which um, we'll get you set up with marketing on that uh, that name there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, traditionally basket trials, we think about more of a genomic base. How are we thinking about incorporating immunotherapies into that basket trial design? Oh, that's a great question, Dale. We think right now that the question and the resources for building this are one and the same. All right. So immunotherapies obviously are being used very widely and all over the place now for many, many cancers. And in fact, the first pan-cancer approval, i.e. a indication by the FDA to use a drug based on a biomarker, irregardless of disease type, was really mismatch repair positivity. And another one was a tumor mutation burden. Um, both concepts really originally developed from our lab more than a half a decade ago. And so, you know, we're, we're very um, happy to be in this setting where I think that insurance approvals and so forth are really looking at these platforms, no matter if you have immunotherapy or targeted therapy, as being amenable to sequencing, right? So on the one hand, you have readouts for tumor mutation burden or MSI or DNA damage repair, which makes you more suitable for immunotherapies that target you know, the genetic instability and the neoantigens. But on the other hand, on the same readouts, if you choose the right panels, you're gonna get your EGFR mutations, you're gonna get your ALK translocations, um, you're gonna get your BRAF mutations profile and so forth. So um, it is all one in the same infrastructure, I think that we're building. What are, your, what are your thoughts about maybe the future of combinations? It is kind of a, you get that same information from a report and you kind of go down an immunotherapy route or a genomics route. Do you think there's a role at some point of combining those two approaches? Oh yeah, I actually, I actually do. Um, I think that, you know, teleologically, we're just looking at different qualities of the cancer genome. The readouts for immunotherapy tend to, uh, for instance, involve a lot of how antigens are formed or specific genes that don't necessarily sensitize you to say EGFR or kinase uh, signaling you know, addiction, but perhaps towards an addiction to evading the immune system, all right? So the biology is different, right? But we're still, I think, looking at the genomic complexities of how mutations change biology. So I think that doesn't change. So at least a part of it, a big chunk of it can be captured using next generation sequencing assays that that query um, the right mutations and the right features like tumor mutation burn. 
But I think other aspects may also be needed. I think, you know, this could be married to, you know, different stainings like PDL1 stainings or looking at certain amplifications and so forth um, as part of a more comprehensive uh, series of biomarkers that we can use. Again, I, th I think the really it's one in the same, right? You can take the genomic route. Now, in terms of what to treat, I think the more stable a genome is, the more likely um, you'll find success using a targeted agent, okay? So if you look at something like BCR-ABLE and uh, certain leukemias or GIST, for instance, uh, where you can get imatinib to work there, those are relatively stable genomes. You can tell that by the genomic structure. You can tell that by the sequencing. And we'll be able to triage depending on this level of genomic uh, stability and, and to determine what that patient should get based on the genomic stability. Yeah, makes sense. Thinking uh, about one of your other components, the the applied computational uh, medicine component, um, do you see that as being something we're going to be working on developing absolutely new therapies, or do you see that as a way to sort of look at ongoing trials or existing therapies and and optimize those? Or uh, what what are your what's your vision from that standpoint? Well, I, I think that, you know, um, my thoughts on this are probably reflect the thoughts of a lot of people here at TAUSIG as well as in the field in that it's both, right? So I think ongoing trials right now, uh, you know, I think we should be learning from every patient on trial, right? And how we can learn most fully from them, really, a part of it is to understand who responds and who doesn't, and when a patient stops responding, why? So that's why when we get this type of genomic data off of the, these precision platforms, we're able to then subsequently go from the bench to the bedside more effectively and to basically understand why certain mutations uh, predispose to resistance and alter our uh, design for the next generation therapies. So I, I think it is both. And in fact, from ongoing trials, if we are very judicious about it and very careful in gathering all the data, we will then be able to actually apply that knowledge to develop the next generation of new therapies based on what goes wrong and what allows resistance to occur in the first place off of the ongoing trials. And this model is not new and it's not rocket science. That's how um, I think a lot of the you know lung cancer uh, fusion targeting agents have been built. I think we're on the fourth generation now, right? And it's successfully, very successfully extended uh, the lives and the quality of life as well of many patients with lung cancer. Um, also EGFR, like uh, omercitinib and others, uh, second, third generation EGFR inhibitors have been dramatically uh, beneficial in terms of improvement of, of um, how long people respond to EGFR inhibitors. So it's the same concept. We just want to do this here for Cleveland Clinic patients and allow Cleveland Clinic patients all throughout the system to really get first access to uh, some of these new concepts and trials available. Now, that's excellent. And when you say all patients, um, what are your, uh, your thoughts about being able to incorporate some of the things you're doing into our regional sites? You did mention Florida, but thinking about how we can engage people, patients in our regional sites, what are, what are your thoughts from that standpoint? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I do think it's very, very important. I think it's important for us to, um, you know, pilot and get things up and running so workflows are very smooth. Um, but, but again, it is one Cleveland clinic, and there is a, a lot of interest now in making sure that Florida is an integral part of the precision oncology strategy. We have a, a, a lot of investment um, in oncology practice and research uh, down in 
the uh, Port St. Lucie and uh, Palm Beach areas, as well as Weston and Indian River and, and the general uh, facility down there. I understand that um, oncology services are already started in Abu Dhabi and, and we'll, we'll have um, conversations with them on how precision oncology can be rolled out. Um, we have to be sensitive to the local practice and culture of research in each individual location and how best to apply um, these precision oncology uh, strategies in, in each location. Also in London, presumably if and when oncology uh, becomes activated there. So Tim, you mentioned uh, the cell therapy program and, and, and you mentioned before, and I guess uh, just to reiterate that we actually have capacity to make cellular therapies here and not only develop them, but make them. Where, where do you see that going, either the near or distant future, more with solid tumors? Because a lot of the cellular therapies have been far more effective in hemalignancies, lymphomas. What do, you, what do you see as the future in solid tumors? Uh, so Dale, that's a great question, and, and it actually reflects a little bit on your, your point about combinations. I, I actually do believe that we're going to need more effective targets and combinations to uh, effectively utilize self, you know, CAR-Ts, for instance, and engineered T-cells for solid tumors. Um, right now, you know, CD19 liquid tumors, very effective, right? So in solid tumors, much less so. And the reason is because these tumors really are able to resist entry of the T-cells. And if you look at a pancreatic cancer, it's almost like, you know, a shield, right? And so that that's probably because of a couple things. A, uh, you know, T-cell trafficking, the right signals and integrin molecules and so forth are not attached. But secondly, also because once they enter the suppressive immunologic microenvironment, the T cells become exhausted. And so it's a twofold problem. Um, and, and I think very presently, um, your comment about combinations is going to be very important here because here we can put multiple constructs into CAR Ts, for instance, into T cells to make CAR Ts, not only the CAR T construct itself, but also the correct signaling, uh, say, integrin or other types of molecules on the surface to allow proper trafficking. There are now a lot of very interesting trials that, um, like at the Penn and other places, are running in combination with combining CAR Ts with anti PD1 or other systemic checkpoint antibodies, but hopefully deal with problem number two, which is the acquired exhaustion phenotype that, that one sees in solid tumors. So, we want to do a lot of those trials here. I do believe, agree with you. I think combinations are going to be uh, very, very important. And as we've already seen, in the literature and in the news, as, as you see, the combinations right now have been provided response rates and durability that I've never seen as an oncologist, ever, okay? So for instance, so in, for instance, we just ran a trial on uh, and, and, and done the correlates for a combination uh, lumvatinib plus pembrolizumab, which is anti-PD-1, where the objective response rate was for renal cell carcinoma, metastatic, okay, was around 70% and an overall tumor shrinkage rate of 96%. You know, it was not that long ago that, that these things were rocks and the responsive, the, the, the percentage of responsive tumors was more like 2%. Yeah. Okay? So, so, you know, we're in a full-on revolution right now with combination immunotherapeutics. And, um, you know, I, I just am very excited to be at the Cleveland Clinic to be able to help um, the f folks really bring these to patients. And, and I guess uh, finally, not to leave any of your groups out, I guess it, from the, the, you mentioned the Department of Immunologic Medicine. Do you think that's going to have more of an impact initially on the basic science side or in terms of clinical science and clinical medicine? Or where, where do you see that in terms of uh, its development? 
Well, we're building all four major components of the center simultaneously right now. Um, the, you know, uh, many of the uh, faculty that we're re recruiting for for the immunologic medicine uh, group, you know, are well, we're all going to be sort of immune-related folks, but some of them are going to be physician scientists and will have roles in various institutes like like TCI and so forth. Some of the other components, you know, we haven't officially launched some of the uh, support mechanisms, but we have a a human immunomonitoring facility that we've just launched that we haven't actually announced yet. Um, this is run by Marcella Diaz and Jen Ko, both immunologists here. The sole purpose of this facility called the IML is to support investigators running clinical trials to do their correlates and to work with companies who run trials at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, we bank, we do full suite of immunologic uh, assays, and we look at correlates and determinants of resistance and sensitivity. So that's already up and running. It's called the IML. Um, look forward for uh, an announcement at the, uh, the website and so forth. Uh, and and other uh, facilities that we're launching. So um, I would say both, Dale. Um, you know, we're we're gonna sort of work on the basic sciences, but also some of these support features are here so that we can build up on current uh, trial efforts. As you correctly noted earlier, this is certainly a team science and a, it's a team approach. And how do you think this is going to to impact? I mean, this seems like it's going to impact in a big way our ability to collaborate with others and work with other institutions and. This seems like a, a real great resource for us. Well, how do you foresee moving forward from a collaboration standpoint? Very early on in my career, I've noticed that trying to help patients in this way, you know, fulfilling our duties as oncologists and scientists to try to provide more options when options become few in number, all right, for these patients, it is absolutely a team, uh, team sport here. Um, and the purpose of the center really is to build upon uh, our ability to uh, collaborate not only internally in uh, amongst different institutions in the Cleveland Clinic for the benefit of patients, but also more widely across our NCI designated comprehensive cancer center and also with industry. And I think we all need to work together uh, to really learn about um, why immunotherapies don't work uh, for the majority of patients and to fix that, right? And we see before our eyes right now you know, the crossing of the 50% threshold and even beyond in terms of people that are responding and, and leading very, very uh, high quality lives with metastatic disease. This is a critical time to be working together to break down silos, right? So that's what we're about. That, that's what our center, for short, we call it CITI, C-I-T-I. That's what we're about, right? You know, half of this entire uh, enterprise is for building collaborations, breaking down barriers so that translational scientists and trialists such as yourself can work together uh, very quickly and efficiently in order to get the questions that we want from clinical trials. Well, that's uh, it's outstanding uh, work you're doing. So um, any additional comments? No, other than uh, thanks for having me on. And um, it's just, you know, I, every day I, I, I just am amazed at uh, the folks here at the Cleveland Clinic and, and the camaraderie and the uh, teamwork here. It's just, uh, it's just an absolute pleasure. Well, great. Well, good luck as you uh, as you've, you've got a great groundwork and you continue to build the center and look forward to working with you. All right. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.